Tim Gaverman from uh, Eat What You Kill Co. Thanks for joining me, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. So, so um, you're actually one of the few, well, Eat What You Kill is one of the few Instagram accounts I'm actually uh, not bored with at the moment. Oh, because brilliant. It, it really <laughs> inspires me to, to go and out there and actually make something of the, the catch or, 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 or the hunt. Uh, but I'll, we'll get to uh, Eat What You Kill uh now but you you run an ad agency right or you're a photographer what do you what do you do um, as a, as I've got a, day a, job I've got a my day job is i've got a creative studio called feel media um and 90 of the work i do for that at the moment is brand strategy um identity and web design and content creation so mostly photography um but the core i guess offering is based around identity strategy and web Yeah. Um, and more, more so in the last few years, I guess I've um, opened up my photography more to clients. Just it was originally just sort of a passion, but I decided I wanted to do more of it, so I've started offering it, and it's just going pretty well so far with the client side of things. Um, but the last 10 years has been pretty much um, identity leading in the last five years into brand strategy and a lot of web design and stuff like that. I see a lot of the stuff in your website uh, on field media website is, is with food or in, in the restaurant industry. Is that a, a bulk of your work or is just, that just one thing that I, that I maybe just saw because I'm into this, this thing. No, it's actually, it's actually not the bulk of my work. I've worked with clients across the board. Um, I had a huge project last year or this year, sorry end of last year carrying through to this year with a hospitality brand here in Auckland um, awesome clients and I got to really sort of get into that from all angles with the strategy the design and the photography um, so a lot of that work was based around hospitality um, food and beverage in their teams and the environment and the culture and stuff like that so that's probably what you've seen as one of my yeah. latest projects on my website um, but other than that I do I do I work across most industries. Um, I'm trying to start focusing more on the the food, the adventure, those sort of clients. Those that's sort of where my passion really lies. Um, but in this sort of, I guess, COVID world, I'm just taking it as it comes at the moment. It's a bit it's a bit hard to sort of say I'm going to do this for the next couple of years because you just don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very it's tough. quite and, hard. And I think both the outdoors and the food industry are notoriously hard industries to break into creatively. Um, oh, 100%. It's, they're a very tight-knit industry. Um, yeah. I think there's, there's people in New Zealand that already do it really well, yeah. um, especially in regards to like photography in there. And it's just, I guess, uh, showing clients what you can do and gaining their trust and doing a good job for them. Um, and if you, well, if I'm good at it, it'll... I'll do more of it. And if I'm not, I won't, but it's, it's definitely a, a direction I'm trying to push the company in. Um, mostly fueled by all the stuff I do in my personal life. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is awesome. If you can, if you can combine the two. Oh, absolutely. Go, eh? Absolutely. I think that's, that's going to be, you know, it's the ideal for me. It's the ideal for the client because they have someone who's super invested in it. Yeah. Um, but it just like I say at the moment, um, it's i think a lot of brands and companies are finding it quite difficult to plan and yeah. plan content and plan creative and 
you know, the work I'm doing at the moment is work that was started before this latest COVID lockdown. Um, and thankfully it's still there so I can carry on with it. Um, but once, once it all settles down and I guess the world starts to learn to live with it, um, that will definitely be the direction I take fuel media. That's awesome, man. That would be great if that can kick off just a combination of all those passions and, and creativity. Um, so, so you, we actually started talking about hunting on another project that I was yes. busy with. That's that I'm not going to mention it now. Cause I'm so scared. It just evaporates <laughs> into thin air. No, we right, that's right. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I think, you know, we were about to shoot a pilot of something and then, then we got yep. locked down. But you, yep. you was, you're a spear fisherman uh, or a spearo. I, I've got the link yeah. right now, but uh, is is yeah. that how you got introduced to to hunting? Um, or... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, up until I started spear fishing, um, I pretty much worked, um, didn't do a whole lot outside, like you know, getting out there doing stuff. I had a lot of interests, but none of it involved gathering food in any way. Yeah. Um, it was it was something uh, some good friends introduced me to that this is going probably three and a half years now since I first started spearfishing and it's a hundred percent. I'm still learning. Um, yeah. Like the, even the diving on Friday showed me that I'm still learning, but it's, it's um, it definitely introduced me to, I guess, a passion for putting the effort to go and putting in the effort to go out and get something Um treating it well, bringing it home, cooking it, um, and, and actually sharing it where, where you can as well with family and friends. So that that's sort of what sparked, I guess, the idea for Eat What You Kill. But the hunting side of it, as in hunting on land, um, yeah. that I only started doing over, a bit over a year ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've done a lot of shooting, but not nothing it was never at animals <laughs> it was like do you, do you just target shooting pistol what do you what do you what do you do um i did a bit of everything i did um target shooting um i did a lot of pistol shooting i, f- I pretty much finished my um i guess the qualifications for a pistol license that which are quite hefty here in new zealand yeah. um went through the year of doing all that and at, at the end of it i'd actually um for numerous reasons, I just decided not to continue pursuing it. Um, but I learned a lot about discipline, um, a lot about just firearms in general, met some awesome people, got some awesome coaching. Um, and it's something I still feel like I'd pick up one day, but it's just getting harder and harder in New Zealand to actually do it. And when, with the COVID lockdowns, it also makes it hard. And once you have your license, it's, it's, you have to really put in the time to keep it. Um, So I sold all my pistol gear, um, bought a hunting rifle um, and didn't use it for like two years. Um, (laughs) And then then finally, uh, actually, no, then I was on my second hunting rifle. (laughs) I shot some targets with my first hunting rifle. um, And then the second one, I, me and some friends actually won a hunting trip um, with a company called Adventure Hunting who took us away for a weekend in um, Whanganui. And that was like my introduction to hunting and bringing home enough meat to fill like a couple of freezers, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, that is awesome, man. 
Yeah, you. Uh, the, the thing with hunting is it's better to shoot smaller game because then you can go and do it often. If you, if well, that, you shoot something bigger, yeah. then you're like, oh, see you next year. That's, that's. I mean, there's nothing that big that I would hunt in New Zealand. Um, there's like, there's, I'm sure there's some big deer around, but I was pretty happy shooting my little spikers and getting them butchered and filling my freezer. Um, and and it, it's the same with spearfishing. Like we don't go out and fill the chili bin every time, especially in summer, because you can just go out again the next week and do it again. If like I brought home two fish on um, Friday, which has given me three or four meals, you know, and a couple of crayfish, but it's it's definitely not a let's go out and fill the freezer every time. The hunting, like I guess, if it's there, like you get a lot more meat out of it. Um, even off the smaller deer, like you still get so much meat from it. Um, but again, I'd rather continue hunting than have a freezer that will last me a year. Yeah, for sure. So, so, so spearfishing, I mentioned to you actually before I started recording that, that spearfishing is something I've always wanted to do. But mm. it's, it's uh, because I didn't grow up, up close to the ocean. It's just not ever been an option really. We're now living in Auckland. It, 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 it is an option. So, yeah. so is there is there how do you approach ethics in in spearfishing? Is it about um, like you mentioned, not taking more than you can use? Is it about shot placement? Like, how do you describe ethics for? Let's say you take me out tomorrow and we're gonna jump off a rock or off a boat or something. Like, what what conversation? If I was open to that conversation, because obviously some people aren't. Like, what conversation yeah. would you have around ethics? Like, how would that go? Um, I'd probably have the conversation that my friends had with me and continue to have with me every time I ask a question or we go somewhere new or uh, the first year that I was really learning, learning and that was to A, not take more than you need. Like we're not, like I said before, we're not out there to fill the freezer up. Um, I've, I've gone out plenty of times planning to get fish, you know, for a family gathering or something and that's great, but uh, half the time I go with this grand plan, I don't kill anything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's 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 the way I was taught, and I can only speak from my experience, but the way I was taught was to, there's certain species you don't shoot. Um, there's certain things you need to put in time to learn, um, and you, you learn pretty quickly that it is a learning process. Um, and I'm like three, probably almost four years in, and I still find it a learning curve, like, almost every time I go diving, I learn something. Yeah. Um, but I think from an ethics point of view, with the group of the group of guys I dive with anyway, it's all about um, enjoying a day out. Um, we quite often split our, our takings for the day. So if we come home, like the first couple of years, quite often we'd come home and I wouldn't have shot anything. Yeah. And the guys that I was with, we'd just split up our catch. So I'd always get to take something home. Yeah. Um, and that I think is the side of it that I really enjoyed. That it's, it's, it's just quite a close knit community, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then there's 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 general ethics around the ocean and sustainable fishing and stuff like that. And I think that's you either agree with that or you don't. And I actually try and avoid all the conversations about that and the politics because it's I don't feel like I'm in a position to be experienced enough to comment on it. Yeah, yeah. But de definitely like. The rule of thumb is, you know, one kingfish per diver per day. Um, one, 
I mean, I don't shoot any snapper really because I'm not good enough, but my friends don't go out. They'll bring home one or two snapper. It's not like you come home and show off a pile of fish that you've yeah. brought home. It's more yeah. like I've brought home one or two fish. Um, most of that is my limited ability, but it's it's also if you shoot a big kingfish in the morning, you don't really need much else because you know you've got a heap of food. So anything else is sort of a bonus. Or yeah. if you shoot a small, a few small fish, you don't need to put in too much time going to look for a big kingfish, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what what weight do you slaughter? Is that the right word with fish? What weight do you <laughs> slaughter out of a out of a out of a kingfish? Like a de- obviously there's different uh, oh, sizes. It, it, as long it's yeah i mean as long as they're legal um generally again the way i was taught was that and the, the friends i dive with their opinion is that the legal limit is well below what we should be taking oh, um, really? yeah and, and and so if i shoot a legal snapper that's just legal like i'll get shit for it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is great which is great right? yeah 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 and it's i've done that a few times and it's like it's it's just that's the mentality they adopt that's the mentality they've taught me and i agree with it um same with kingfish like you can shoot heaps of just legal kingfish um or you can take your time and find one that's you know 12 or 13 kg which i think might we sort of see as the ideal size to manage it's you don't have too much meat you're not a pain to deal with on the boat um but I mean, I've shot heaps of eight and nine kg ones. Well, not heaps, but that—that's the sort of size I seem to always find. Um, yeah. And then right up to the other end, I shot one last year that was thirty-five kg. Um, Holy hell! And I'm never ever doing that again. <laughs> Why did you shoot it a cannon? No, just a, a Rob Allen spear gun and one of their little floats. It was actually the one time I I had all the big gear on the boat and left it in the boat and got in with the little gear. But it's again like they're few and far between but the spots Mm -hmm. we go diving you can easily find 12 13 14 15 up to 20 kg kingfish um quite regularly if you know where to look i think you're you're off a boat most of the times you're not off the shore right um i actually do do quite a bit of diving off the shore um not in the last year just because of the lockdowns and work and but i used to do a lot of shore diving up around um lee and all, all the usual spots that Aucklanders yeah. know about but i was lucky enough to have friends who have boats who also work for themselves so we we can generally find the time in summer to get out reasonably often um on the boats um uh how, how do you treat shot placement on a fish are you just aiming for like the upper third of the body because obviously it's very hard it's not the same as with the scope like are you aiming for where are you aiming um where i aim and where i hit them is usually quite different yeah, so where, um, where do you I, aim <laughs> well it, it depends what fish it is for kingfish example i've always been taught to aim for sort of the lateral line behind the gill plate okay. um and that will be a good holding shot that you can then you know wrestle them in and and get rid of them the guys again that i dive with seem to be pretty good at shooting them in the head and killing them and not having any hassle um but again it's it's something I've learned over the last few years when a kingfish swims up to you that you're going to shoot, sometimes that all just goes out the window. Yeah. Um, but I do try and aim for that front third in a meaty spot. But again, I've shot them further back, lower, too low. Um, I've lost a couple by shooting them too low and the spear just rips out. And I'm sure most um, 
people that have gotten into spearfishing have done the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing I've learned and I probably still need to learn is actually just to slow down and you don't have to pull the trigger the first time it swims past. Like generally, especially with kingfish, they'll come back again. Um, and actually just put a bit more effort into shooting them in a good spot. And, and with the smaller fish, like the the snapper in that are, I still struggle with. Um, but things like butterfish and the, the easier fish to shoot, if you can, like you might as well shoot them in the head or yeah. around there and not and not damage the fish. Um, yeah. And that again comes down to, I think, slowing down and actually taking the time to aim at it properly and not just rush it. Um, is there uh, something, you know, with, 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 uh, with deer or antelope and, and buck, uh, mm. there's a thing that you want to bleed them, you know, people have all these theories. Is there something like yep. that with fish that they taste worse because they're full of adrenaline because of bad shot placement or does that not count for fish? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I would assume so. Um, yeah. I think if you had like two fish next to each other cut up raw and you could try them and one had had a horrific death and one had been, <laughs> you know, shot in the brain, Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure one might have more blood in it or... Yeah. The muscles might be tense or something, but generally, and, and again, the way I've been taught was to shoot the fish, kill the fish, and as quickly as possible, get the guts out and bleed it and put it on ice. Yeah. And that, that I think, also comes back to the conversation of ethics. It's it's like never would we, would we really shoot a fish and throw it on the boat and just leave it sitting in the boat. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it would always be bled, gutted, um, depending on how warm the water is and where we are. But um, get the guts out, get the blood out, and and put it on ice as quickly as possible. And it just makes it, it it makes it nicer at the end of the day when you come home to know that that fish wasn't sitting in the sun for a few yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. So so when you started eat what you kill, the count. How long ago was that? I actually checked and I forgot now. That was like uh, two, three years. No, nah, it's not three years. It's it's in the last couple of years. I started. The, the Facebook group I started at the very start of our first COVID lockdown in 2020. So yeah. it'd be going back a year and three quarters-ish. Um, and I think a few months later, I started the Instagram page. And then a few months after that, I thought, oh, I better build a website. So I did that. Yeah. Um, so it's been running pretty solidly for like a year and a half, I'd say. So why not just hunting photos? Like, why did you put the, like, why it's very recipe? Well, it's completely recipe focused. Mm. Like, why did you decide to do the, the recipe focus? Well, from my point of view, there's so many awesome photographers out there doing photos. There's so many awesome people doing videos. Um, like, New Zealand is just so rich with awesome content creators. The ones I've met through what you kill, like, there were, just blows my mind continually but I just wanted to do something different that I felt like I could do well and you know I'm I think I'm a good photographer I'm a good designer I'm a at that time I was a very novice um sparrow I hadn't been hunting and I didn't want to pretend to be something I wasn't mm. so I thought um like I really enjoy cooking and I really enjoy photographing the food so I'll try that um and that's what I started with with the Facebook group was during that first lockdown was actually just sharing recipes and um, it was all going to be fish and it was going to be just about spearfishing and um, the hunting community sort of 
got so involved in it so much more so than I had imagined or expected um, that it just, I just let it go. I decided not to control it and actually just enjoy what it was becoming um, and enjoy all the people and their recipes and their food that they were sharing. And my original plan had been to make it this like cutting edge brand with amazing photography and amazing videos. And actually it hasn't really, it's ended up being, a very community-based project built by an awesome community of people and what they do as well. And I mean, I can take all the nice photos in the world and make all the nice dishes, but it's, to me, it's, it's about all the people that share their stuff as well and their stories. And when I launched the website, I reached out to quite a few people in the community who I knew had particular passions, whether it was fitness or hunting or diving or, a certain style of cooking or um, just an expertise in something that I thought the community would enjoy reading about. And they all wrote me amazing articles, which are now yeah. on the website. And yeah. like it's, I, I get so many people say, oh, you've done such a good job with this brand. But actually all, I, like, all I've done is build a facility to help the community share their stuff as well, which I think means more to me than building some like commercial brand if that yeah, makes yeah, sense yeah. i think there's it's, it's cool because um the account and the website and everything can can give people affirmation for what they do um, mm, yeah which, well, which that, awesome. that's it yeah it's and that's it. it's like i actually love the fact because when i i basically share all the stuff that's put in the facebook group to the instagram page and it's all accredited to the person i tag them if i can find them on instagram and it's i want the the following of 700 or 7,000 odd people to see what this person's done or that person's done. And it's, 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 it's like grassroots stuff. Like it's not a lot of, it's not studio lit photography or it's, it's not taken with fancy gear, but it's actually like epic recipes from someone who's gone out and shot a deer or killed a fish or something like that. And it's the, the, the amount of stuff I've learned about cooking in the last year and a half is just ridiculous. That's awesome, man, because everybody's got a cool recipe out there. Mm, oh, um, exactly. Uh, I, you know, I, I went through the whole account and you can see the photography just getting better. Um, mm. uh, where you, I mean, your photography has always been good, but it seems to me like the past couple of months, it's really become like, it's really become something, you know, it's been good, but now it's like, I can see there's a lot of effort that goes into that photography. It's not just a snap and let's put it on Instagram. Mm. And I can mm. even see uh, some of the, the the photos that are submitted to you are becoming so much better. Like people are realizing yeah. it's this thing. It's, it's not just the recipe, it's the recipe and the photo has to look cool too. Like everybody's putting in so much effort and, and, and that's pretty cool that the community has kind of all like gathered to do this 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 thing oh absolutely and i've seen like people that were sharing recipes from the start who share them like every time they cook something they share it and the way they even write about it and their photos have gotten so much they've changed so much over the last year and a half and that might be due to eat what you kill or it might not be but it's just cool to see people yeah put effort into sharing it because especially some of the guys on Instagram who don't, who aren't actually part of the Facebook group, but they always tag me in what they cook and they've, you know, they've lit a fire on a beach and they've cooked something and they've taken an awesome photo of it. And that to me is like, 
most of my photos are shot at home under really nice natural light, which I yeah. set up and, you know, put a lot of thought into. But some of the ones on Instagram I'm tagged in, like, they're just, they're literally out there doing it all the time. They're on a beach, they're in the bush, they're, they're, they're living their way of life. I was, yeah. I was talking to a guy the other day who's, who makes the most amazing food and he, he couldn't even like, he couldn't figure out how to tag it, what you're killing it. And I told him, but it wasn't actually because he'd been tagging me. So I'd been seeing it and he was like, Oh, I don't really know how to use the social media thing, but like, I love cooking. And some of the stuff he was making was just amazing. And it was like stuff he was making, like in his shed, like over like open coals or a fire or something like that. And, that's the sort of stuff I find pretty interesting. Um, and I guess everyone's got their own angle. I really enjoy the food photography side of it as well as the hunting side of it. But a lot of people are just super happy to cook one of their epic feeds, which to them is probably just a normal meal. But once you share it and you see some of the other people commenting on it, it's obviously taught other people something. Yeah. You, you, you have a, like a mental health focus. I saw some of the earlier posts, you know, you were involved with a couple of, of initiatives uh, uh, that focus on mental health. Like how does that tie yeah. in? Like why do you decide to involve that? Um, I can't actually remember how I introduced it into Eat What You Kill. It, originally it wasn't going to be part of it. Um, I think when I realized there was quite a community of people that were interested in uh sharing their thoughts whether it was cooking or anything else um and i started following some of these people i noticed especially in the hunting world um there was a lot of people having quite open conversations about mental health which yeah. really surprised me because being someone who had at that point not really done much hunting yeah. i i guess expected the hunting community to be quite hard-edged like closed off like yeah. blokey blokes um and it was actually a um i think a video by khan adam who uh was like sitting in his in his garage talking about men's mental health and i thought shit like it's there's some actually pretty like some icons in the new zealand hunting world who have huge followings that are pretty open to talking about this stuff and it was it, i've done some projects in the past to do with the uh not with it sorry with mental health and they sort of they went all right and they meant something to me and they helped some people but with this i thought okay now's my chance to actually even though it's a slightly weird combination you know hunting and sustainable food and mental health i thought screw it i'll just chuck it out there and i went through like my i guess strategy process that i'd go with a client who was building a brand i did it with myself yeah and 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 said that I wanted to focus on the community, the mental health, and the food, and then figured out how I was going to do that, and then I did it, and it was actually accepted really well. Um, and since then, I've just, as and when time allows, and when I have ideas or uh, something comes to mind, I just do it now, whether it's mental health week or not. Um, I just want to eat what you kill to always be something that leads back to promoting positive mental health and promoting a community of people to be more open about it and also to get out there and do all the things that I've been doing which have helped my mental health so much yeah for sure man I know with this specific lockdown I'm just oh uh, like 
fighting at the bit, jumping at the bit just to bloody get out there, you know. Um, oh, hundred. The only thing that yeah. keeps me sane is like this idea that I can go and go and do something. Well, you, you can now, like, uh, it's a bit weird in Auckland with restrictions at the moment because there's a lot of stuff you can't do and there's yeah. a few things you can do. Yeah. And, like, you can go shore diving now if you want to. Yeah. Um, you can go hunting if you've got somewhere in Auckland to do it. You can go out on your boat. Like, it's, it's they made a few adjustments to the restrictions, which I think have helped a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, if you look at the Haraki Golf on the weekend, I'm pretty sure every boat in Auckland was out there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think there'll be some a lot more refreshed feeling people this week, you know, like sure. before last Friday, I was getting very, I was really struggling this lockdown just with general anxiety, even going to the supermarket I was battling with because I'd been inside for so long. Yeah. So to get out for a day, like way out to sea, get in the water, get some sunburn, get, you know, blow out some energy. Um that's probably been the best day of this lockdown. Yeah. Um, I think mentally so far. Um, uh, I see a lot of the fly fishing community as rivers in Auckland and, and small dams or lakes, yeah. which they've, yeah. kind of, you know, you just don't go there because it's just, there's so much better water an hour and a half yeah. South. They're really, yeah. they're all utilizing it now. Um, and, well, I think it's, it's definitely showing people like, sometimes it's just about getting out there and doing it even if the water's shit or it's a shit yep. river or yep. the you know it's and it, my friend who i went diving with we're kind of like actually whatever the weather is we're going <laughs> yeah for <laughs> um, sure man and and it was just to break that monotony of staying at home going for walks going to the supermarket you know that you have to do something different after a while or you'll just go crazy and i i also think um specifically like outdoor pursuits uh, really mm. make a big difference to people's lives like i can't imagine not having an outdoor pursuit as something that i do um just watching tv just even going to the gym or whatever the specifically the outdoors has that aspect to being able to refocus you and burn that bad energy off um and, yeah and i couldn't agree more one of the things we spoke about on on Instagram was uh, uh, just kind of the 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 politics around um, uh, kind of tar and deer and 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 wild yeah. meat in New Zealand. And seeing yeah. that you run a, a marketing agency, <laughs> I wanted to ask you if you had to to run a campaign to get yep. townies well me and you are actually townies bloody hell but anyways we oh 100% exactly everybody who, who, who hunts or fishes and stuff don't see themselves as townies they see themselves as some different breed but yep. if you had to run a marketing campaign to get townies into collecting more wild meat um, and then hopefully kind of changing that perception of of these animals are pests and things and not, not just deer and tar and stuff you know spear yep. fishing and everything like, how would yeah. you run a campaign for wild meat? Like, what would you do? What would you uh, do if you were given, like, a big bucket of cash and say, like, get out there? Probably buy a boat. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, well. To, to, no, to be honest, um, I would approach it like I would approach any uh, campaign for any brand, which is quite a strategic approach just because that's how my mind works yeah um and i think if you broke down townies or 
that group of people, there'd actually be like subsets of audiences within that who are quite different, where different things would appeal to them. Um, so I think I'd start there at looking at who the people are you're trying to talk to. Yeah. Um, so say, say you're a wild food brand and you want to promote it. Um, I think you need to look at the persona breakdowns of an audience. So say you took Auckland, for example, there'd be a lot of different groups of people and different aspects of hunting and wild food would appeal to them. So what, what appeals to me as a 36-year-old designer from Auckland um, is like the hunting, getting out there, um, getting the meat and cooking it. But for other people, um, it might be, they might have zero interest in hunting or getting dirty or getting out there, but they might have every interest in eating free range, super healthy food, which is, you know, proven to be better quality. Um, and to me and to that person, you would market it very differently. Um, you would use different assets, you would run different campaigns. Um, then if you took age groups, a younger age group, you'd probably market it differently to a, a much older age group. So it's, I think it's very doable and I think it needs to happen. I think it is slowly happening more. Like I see, I just saw something on Instagram before about it, um, like the Game Animal Council and there's so many awesome people doing so much hard work in that area. Um, but as a, I guess, a brand strategist, I would look at it as a brand, which is, you know, wild meat and break it down to who are we trying to talk to about this? Where are they? Where do we find them? And what's the most direct, I guess, path to give them the information that will appeal to them? And there'll be a few different areas and a few different segments. Um, and it will just be different conversations, I guess, that need to be had to, to really push it. But to be honest, you just start with the people that are the easiest to convert into it. The ones that are keen to go hunting but don't know how to or don't have any resources or don't know anyone that can help them. That's the best place to start. Um, and then you, then you'd look at the people who are very conscious about what they eat, but have zero interest in going out and getting it, but would, cause you know, be in reality, not everyone can or yeah. wants to go hunting. Um, and that, that's just the truth, but yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of people who would still like to eat meat that's, been hunted or, or caught wild or you know and it's just about how do you remove the hunting aspect of it and get it directly to them and I think that's already happening like there's I see a lot of companies now popping up there's a really good one in Australia called um discovered foods I think it is and that. it's it's all wild food direct to your door um oh wow and that I think there's a big gap for that in New Zealand because there is like through my limited knowledge of hunting, there's so much resource there, especially in regards to venison, yeah. um, that actually needs to be in some, in some cases needs to be killed and utilized to maintain the land. Um, and I think there's, there's obviously a huge population in New Zealand of hunters already and families and families that have grown up hunting who that, that's just, they don't know going to the supermarket and buying meat. They'd probably never do it. Um, but then there's also a huge portion of, like you say, people that live in the cities who didn't grow up with a parent who hunted or friends that hunted who um, who would like that resource but just don't want to go out and get it. Yeah. Um, and the same with fish. Like 
that that I think is definitely changing. Like some of the work I've been doing and the com- the companies I've been working with just put a never ending amount of effort into educating people on how to use fish better. Um, yeah. The the Kayaka project I've done a lot of work with recently, who are avid supporters of Eat What You Kill, they literally put hours and hours and hours of manpower across the board into sharing what a lot of people at one point would have considered like fish scraps, but yeah. they feed like whole communities with it. So it's, it's, it's the, the, I guess in this case, the tide is definitely turning, yeah. um, but it's all about, and Kai could do it well, their, their content, their, their campaigns, the way they talk to the community, they do it really well. Um, and I think it's to answer, to draw this long <laughs> answer to an end, I think it's just about really defining who it is you want to sell this stuff to or sell this idea to, and then coming up with a plan of a conversation that they would be open to receiving. Um, you should maybe uh, hit me up with their either website or, and then I can, yeah, absolutely. When, when, when this gets posted. Um, yep. It, it, it's interesting because I know in Blenheim and north of Auckland in, 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 in uh, close to Kumio, there are yeah. guys who harvest wild meat. I think the Kumio guy might be off a farm, but a deer yeah. farm, but the guy in oh, Blenheim yeah. harvests wild meat and he has um, uh, MPI uh affiliate yep. so it's a guy who comes and tests for diseases they do a mouth swab yep. of the animal and then yep. they sell it in a in a butchery okay yeah and there's only one or two people who do that locally because you know mostly like kill you can't go and sell deer meat if i shoot something or you no shoot there's there's a lot of regulations around yeah. that i think but there are now these these things that you can do to be able to put it into the human food chain oh and absolutely I think if that becomes more widely used uh, it's definitely another platform to to spread the message, and and this in turn will give more value to the animal that's seen as a pest, and it will motivate everyone to to utilize it because it's now it's in the human food chain and it's seen as exactly safe because it's been tested, and you can trust it. It just needs to be normalized, and I think yeah. you do that through co- like meaningful conversation, um, yeah. and you do it without shoving it down people's throats. Yep. It's It needs to be done slowly but surely and in a tactful way um, that, again, going back to what I just said, really speaks to the audience you're trying to talk to. And there'll be a few different ones, audiences, um, that is. And there's definitely interest. You know, I, I looked at... Um... I've got 194 followers on Instagram for, oh, yeah, for yeah. My, my Instagram account and you've got 7,800. It says something. Mm. Obviously, mm. you're in marketing, you know you know how to sell it. But the thing is, there are people, 7,800 plus people interested in this, right? Yeah. In what you do, which is already yeah. a large amount of people that buy things. They buy fishing gear, they buy hunting gear. They're, and they're interested in the in, in in the food aspect and and yeah maybe like you say communicating the right message to the right group of people is is uh, uh is, is is just maybe a shift in the way it's been approached previously and attacking it like a marketing campaign might be beneficial um oh 100 i am um, like i said earlier like your your channel is one of the things that i i 
constantly visit just because it inspires me. And I, oh, I, I, I think about like the ethics of, of, of hunting and things a lot these days. And um, we're all, you know, so many people are in the supermarket is food mentality, you know, with yes. complete yeah. disassociation. But what I thought is, is, is very cool about what you do is, is, uh, and, and I've discussed it with one of my friends, Franco, on the on the ethics podcast that I had recently mm. about um, how we how we see the meat that we eat, you know, and how kind of cultures have lost this connection. But then yeah. I, I I looked at what you do, and specifically because you promote like new recipes and new approaches, um, what what your page really does is it pays homage to to animals by putting effort into cooking something in a special way and and you know i in south africa i used to shoot one or two animals a year and my wife and i would have uh, uh, plenty of of meat and we'd invite friends over you know and we'd cook a big game meat pie and give people like bultong you know jerky and stuff yeah and and a lot of our family had family with farms and there they could go and shoot shoot animals um, and and there you can take a, a animal you shot to your local butcher and they butcher it up for you. Yeah, and they yeah. package it. Uh, but but what I what I really thought about it was that that we've become separated. But what a page like yours is doing is it's it's creating like a postmodern. I don't know if that's even the era anymore that we're in, but like a postmodern ritual. You know, tr- uh, uh, long ago people would have rituals about food. But it seems to me like you're creating like this new social media era ritual, which is actually bringing people closer to food. And I think that's why I really fancy it. It's not just a page displaying photos of food. It's, it's creating ritual and it's giving value to the animal. And I, I really respect that, that part of what you do. Oh, I appreciate that. It's, and that's something from the start where possible and I guess with keeping everyone's beliefs in mind i've shared photos of the animals in the hunt along with the recipes because it i wanted it to be about the journey of getting the food right through to eating it not just you know here's some uh, a venison curry um i'll I'll quite often talk about the hunt i went on or and a lot of other people do it so especially like with fishing in that they'll talk about their day fishing they'll have some photos of the family and the kids and that and it's it's just i think i think the the difference is for a lot of the people that have sent me their recipes or tagged me and stuff that's always been their way of life that's what yeah. they've always done as a family they go fishing or they go hunting and for me i guess i approached it from a point of view where i've always bought my meat and my fish um I don't think I've bought any fish since I started spearfishing. Yeah. Um, and I give a lot of it to my parents and my sister and the same with the hunting. And it's that's probably going back to your question about how to introduce it to people who haven't experienced it. I'm like the test case for that. I just did it myself. I yeah. sorted out rather than having it, you know, given to me and, from when my friend first took me spearfishing i just sought out other ways of doing it and new experiences and um i bloody struggled like it was hard but it um it's i think i've grown a lot in the last couple of years because of it so that's probably like 
you could take that as and just do it and reverse engineer it and that's how you would introduce it to someone like me yeah yeah as a campaign so so yeah. so i asked you to talk about a couple of recipes um mm. so like i threw a couple of ideas at you and obviously you've got a things in mind so what what recipes did you want to talk about today like um, the things or one specifically i was going to talk about one that surprised me actually it was a thai curry a venison yeah. one which um i kind of i actually went to a thai restaurant here in auckland and had a really nice massive of curry um and decided i wanted to try it with venison and I, when I made it, I actually had a kuma and I had no rice or anything. So I cut up the kuma and threw it in it and it, it turned out really good. And it's been like by a thousand percent, the most viewed, most popular recipe oh, wow. from Eat What You Kill ever. Um, and it, we put it in the Hunter's Journal and it had a huge response from that as well. And it's, it was one that to me was just like some random curry I cooked, but it was it was a way of using like, I think I had, it was like the rump steak, the last piece I had. Um, and it was so easy because you just cook it all up in a pot, like yeah. an oven proof dish, and then chuck the whole lot in the oven for two hours with the kuma and it comes out and you've got a meal done. Um, nice. And it's, it's the, it's the recipe that the most people have recreated and, and tagged me in on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and like the full recipe is on the website, but it's, it's just so easy. It took like, five or ten minutes to put together then you chuck it in the oven for a couple of hours and you um, walk away and you walk away and then when i did this lockdown actually was sausage rolls which i've wanted to do for a long time and i i got so many sausages after the last time i went hunting i actually got sick of eating them um <laughs> so i started cutting them open and making stuff with the sausage meat so yeah. i did like some ragouts, some stews, and then I made sausage rolls, and they were, I think for me personally, they're one of the, my favorite things that I've made. Um, and that was just essentially the sausage meat and some caramelized onion and fennel and cheese. Um, yeah, that one stood out to me because the photography was good. <laughs> and, that that and one, I actually, there's some of my favorite photos of food I've taken. I think it's just the color of sausage rolls photographs really well. Yeah. Um, and I think the light, I've got a spot in my lounge where I move my coffee table over by the window. Um, so a lot of my photos have the same wooden table under them. But yeah, yeah, yeah. at the right time of the day when the light's right, it's just a super nice spot um, under natural light. And I've got um, studio lights and stuff like that, but I actually prefer using just natural light. And they, I feel like they photographed as well as they tasted. Sometimes I cook things and it tastes awesome, but it doesn't photograph yeah, yeah, that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or sometimes I photograph awesome and they didn't taste that great. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the sausage rolls were a, a, a highlight of this lockdown. Actually, I need to make them again. So, so the curry was just like you, you chopped the meat, you put in, was it like a pre, pre spice that you bought in a bottle or did you? Yeah, I actually, I, I bought a maximum curry paste. Yeah. Um, uh, again we're in lockdown i didn't have much so i just yeah. i bought that um cut up the steak cut up the kumara had a can of coconut milk uh some onions cinnamon some apricot sort of chutney some coconut sugar fish sauce chili coriander and and literally you cook it all up in a pot and get it nice and browned and then just chuck it in the oven and let it go um you probably could just keep it simmering on the stove but yeah. um 
I I bought this like casserole dish I wanted to use in the oven. So I, I chucked it in the oven just for a couple of hours, mostly because I'd put raw kuma in it and I wanted it to be soft. Um, but it turned out it's it's quite a if you haven't had masamun curry, it's quite sweet. Yeah. So yeah, it yeah. T- you can really taste the sugar in it, but I put it, like a heap of chili in it, so it was like oh, sweet nice. hot. Um, and it was just a really nice use of like you could use any part of the venison for that because yeah, it, yeah. it pretty much slow cooks it's i think you could actually i haven't done it but i think you could make it and chuck it in a slow cooker for a day as well and i think it would work pretty well um and um, you, you had a um you had like a pizza roll that you made oh yeah what so was bought, that what, what was the the dough on that was it like normal pastry dough or what was that um it was just like puff flaky pastry yeah, self yeah. just just from the supermarket frozen section and i bought it um i bought way too much of it for something else i made and i saw i was watching a some cooking show on tv where they had made like cinnamon rolls where they cooked up apple and cinnamon and then rolled it up um and then sliced it into wheels and baked it and let it puff that up. sounds good also right <laughs> yeah, what they did, yeah um and then they put icing and stuff on it but i thought that i love pizza pizza is probably my favorite food and i thought i haven't done a venison pizza as such really yet um so i made what i made was just to lay out the puff pastry and then i made a normal pizza on it so i could have cooked it and just had it as a normal pizza but i actually rolled it up and then sliced it into wheels and baked it like those cinnamon rolls. So it turned into like pizza. Like it is quite a common way. If you look up pizza scrolls or like, you can buy like Marmite and cheese ones from the bakery and things like that. But I just, I wanted to to do something different, I guess. And they turned out pretty good. Um, How long long were they in? You just kept an eye on them uh, until they looked right. And then that's, that's it. Yeah. They were in the oven for like half an hour. And I think everything I did with that puff pastry, I did the sausage rolls with it. I did some other like um, pesto things. The half an hour was the sweet spot for getting that puff pastry cooked through. And yeah. anything on it would cook in that half an hour anyway, because it's you put it in quite a hot oven at like 200 on fan. Yeah. Um, so... I think I I think I tried one of the pizza wheels at 20 minutes and the the dough wasn't quite cooked in the center, so I, I put them back in for another um, 10 minutes. Uh, but anything longer than that, the the pastry just gets too dry. Yeah, was was cooking as cooking always been something that you're into, or kind of the display? Uh, kind of yeah, I do I do enjoy cooking. Um, it's not something I've done like like I've always cooked for myself, but I don't put much effort into it but i enjoy it so yeah. eat what you kill was kind of another outlet in the first lockdown to keep me entertained by sharing some stuff and seeing what other people were doing because it was actually kind of a good time to launch a project like this because everyone was stuck inside and it was when the whole of new zealand was locked down so everyone had heaps of time to share their content and it, it tapers off and it goes through weeks where there's like almost no one posting and then comes back if the weather's good people are out doing stuff so it's it's one of those things where i've put no pressure on it i've put no the only money i've put into it for marketing um has been for the mental health campaigns yeah um, so i haven't actively like there's a lot i could do with it but i've kind of at this point left it to 
be quite organic. I've recently started having some conversations about doing more of it with people. Um, and there's some, I've got some very cool ideas, but the essence of it, and I guess the foundation of it will always be that it's just a cool platform where people share their stories and their, their hunting and their fishing and their eating and their food and their recipes and things like that. So lockdown is good for people who want to deep dive into conspiracy theories <laughs> and cooking. So that's basically what yeah. you've established well, in the past so, 50 minutes. To launch lockdown is good for anyone who wants to launch a lifestyle brand that yeah. requires people to be at home to do it. Yeah. So it wasn't strategic. It was out of my border. <laughs> um, and if yeah, if you've got an idea of something to launch, you've got a few more weeks of lockdown probably to yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it was it was out. a good time because I, I like to think it gave other people an outlet to do some cool stuff as well. Because sure. luckily, most people that hunt and fish and that had stuff in their freezers to get them through lockdown. Um, I know me and my friends went out the day before lockdown and got some fish and stuff like that. So I'm sure other people did as well. Um, but it was just, it was a cool time to be at home and actually have something interesting to do. What if what would you do with raw fish if I brought you a piece of raw fish now? Like I'd probably I don't just know, slice what, it what, up and eat it. <laughs> what cut what cut would you want someone to bring to you? Like what's your favorite and what how would you treat raw fish? Sushi, um, like sushi style, what would you do? I literally just slice it up. I'll I'll eat any fish raw mostly. Um like I did Trevelli on Saturday and just Sliced up one of the fillets, put lemon juice and soy on it. Um, some like uh, seaweed seasoning I have. Yeah. Um, it's called like furutake or something like that. But it's basically seaweed, um, sesame seeds and some dried citrus. Cool. Um, but I honestly think you can't beat like just good raw cold fish and soy sauce. Um, yeah. There's... There's been there was a very popular recipe that went around the Eat What You Kill group in that first lockdown by a guy called Pat Swanson, which was a a raw fish um, carpaccio, which was like heaps of raw fish, heaps of garlic, heaps of parsley, and that was epic. Like quite a few people made that. Um, and if I've got all the ingredients, I'll do something like that. But I think raw fish, like the less you do to it, sometimes the better. And it has to be cold, right? You're not taking it fresh out of the water. You want it on ice or is anything good? Oh, I'd eat it. Fresh. I'd probably eat it raw fresh out of the water. <laughs> I personally like it super cold. Um, so I'll, like with the Trevelli filler, I put it in the freezer for half an hour before I cut oh. it up. Um, it wasn't frozen. It was just really cold. Yeah. Um, but if it's been in the fridge, like I generally don't touch my fish till the next day after I've been diving, usually because I'm just too tired. So I'll, pack them on ice on the way home and then leave them in the chili bin overnight and then as i'm filleting them i'll just eat some of it raw because it won't get much colder than that yeah um but i definitely wouldn't eat like warm sashimi i don't think that would be very nice yeah, yeah. um but i've had like um a friend of mine tom that lived with me for a while he cooked like a kingfish uh i think it was a piece of belly uh, where you put heaps of pepper on it and sear it like you would tuna and slice it up and then heat up like a mirin sauce, um, which is like sesame oil, uh, rice wine vinegar. Can't remember what else. It's called mirin. Um, 
and you heat that up and pour it over it. And that was like a hot, I guess, seared raw fish. And that was pretty wow. good. That sounds um, pretty good. It's actually, the recipe for it is in the Great New Zealand Seafood Cookbook, if anyone's interested. Um, I haven't heard of that book, but I'm going to I'm gonna Google it right after this. It's pretty much a tataki. So in a lot of Japanese restaurants, you can get like a, a tataki dish, which will be raw beef or raw fish that's been seared really quickly yeah. with a with a hot sauce or a, a some sort of vinaigrette on it um and i've always enjoyed that at restaurants so it was it was nice actually to have it at home can imagine so two more questions mm. if yeah. i brought you a bird what bird would you want me to bring you and what would you do with it that's a question one i, li- I literally have zero experience with birds oh, really? um yeah like i love duck um I would, I'd probably say duck because it's the only thing I'd know what to do with. Um, and I'd just roast it or cook the breasts. Um, other than that, bird hunting is not something I've done any of. Um, I was actually pretty keen to try a poo gecko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Me too, man. There's, yeah, there's, I was looking up some recipes and it's people, like it's it's more common than I thought it was that people eat them. Um, I've seen... Someone will eat what you killed at a peacock, and that looked pretty good. But um, yeah, if you brought me a bird, I'd probably need some help. <laughs> we, I, I um, bought a shotgun a while ago, and oh, yeah. I've been going out to some of the the Waikato uh, public land pheasant hunting spots. Oh yeah, because now yeah, season yeah. is closed, and I basically missed yeah. a bunch of pheasant. I didn't kill anything. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm pretty keen oh, to, to, to try to get it more into bird shooting because it, it, I think yeah. there's a lot of cool things one can do with birds. Oh, definitely. And it, that, it, it's been pretty big on Eat What You Kill. A lot of people post recipes about it. It's just, again, I don't have a shotgun. I don't know anyone really that does a lot of it. Um, yeah. But it's I'm sure I will try it. It's just, again, probably finding someone to learn from. Like a lot of stuff I'm pretty good at learning myself, but I do enjoy going out with someone with some experience and actually learning the ins and outs of it. Yeah, I think it's uh, a lot of outdoor pursuits is like just starting off new is very frustrating because the learning, you have to learn so much. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Okay. And then if you have time for a Sunday meal, you've got a couple of hours, what are you going to do? If you can have anything, like what would you, what would you hunt? What would you make? And to invite a couple of mates over, I'd probably make pizzas. To be honest, <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> I, I would do like a. I would because I've got some really nice venison salami, which I got done last time I went hunting. I'd probably do like a venison salami, just real classic pizza. One thing I need to learn how to do better is like make my own bases and things like that. So I'd make my own base, make my own sauce, and do a venison pizza or do like that maximum curry if i was having people over just do a really big one um and make some like i don't know some garlic breads or something to go with it maybe not if it was the height of summer um but because it's a pretty like you'll be warm by the time you finish it but but no it's that or if we've been diving like i cooked um the other night i cooked some crayfish for my parents and my sister and we all had that with a barbecue which was pretty nice as well nice i um we just started a, a, a little vegetable garden and uh, I think one of the first things from the tomatoes, I just want to make my own tomato paste for pizzas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I've I think got you a just weaver with one of those, 
those tomato, those pizza stones, you know, that you put in yep. the Weber and you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The pizza know. stones make a big difference. I've actually, I had one, I broke it, but um, <laughs> they make them a lot nicer and crispier. Yeah, um, sure. And you just, I think with, especially if you're using a barbecue, you just need to get it as basically as hot as it will go. Um, and that's sort of, if, if you can make a good dough, that's how you end up with a good pizza and you cook it hot, like as hot as you possibly can. Have you, um, have you made your own doughs or is it just something you want? To I make? actually only tried it for the first time a few weeks ago and they weren't amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I usually buy like a nice pizza base from like Farrow or something yeah, um, yeah. And, and cook it on that. But it's I've had bases at friends house who make them and uh, they're always a lot nicer um and i think it's just i think they're super simple to do i've just never actually done it until i, I did it a very cheap way last time and just used self-raising flour and water um yeah. and it basically just made bread so <laughs> pizza bread it, it was yeah well i mean it was nice but it was literally like eating a loaf of bread with some pizza toppings on it so I, I didn't roll it out enough and the base was just like too thick. So I think the better way to do it is actually to get the yeast and let it let yeah. it do its thing and then knead it a bit and then roll it out nice and flat and then cook it really hot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, we're out of time. Um, I'm really inspired. The, the curry with the kumara, I think is my next yeah. one that I'm going to make. It sounds amazing. Go, and it's, it's very kiwi if you can get if you can get a pest animal from here and a yeah. kumara, boom. Yep, yep, yep. Give it a go. It's it's honestly the feedback. It, I wasn't expecting it when I put it on the Eat Weaker website, but so many people have made it um, and no one said anything bad about it. So it must be all right. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Tim, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And we'll, uh, we'll talk again. No, I, I appreciate you um, inviting me on. Thank you. Cool. Cheers, man.